welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski. And today I'm very excited to share that we have Patty Callahan Henry on to discuss her new novel, Once Upon a Wardrobe, which pulls back the curtain on the early life of C.S. Lewis. If somehow you don't know Patty from her podcast or best-selling books, a little about her. Patty Callahan Henry is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of 16 novels and a podcast host. Patty is the recipient of the Christie Award 2019 Winner Book of the Year, the Harper Lee Distinguished Writer of the Year for 2020, and the Alabama Library Association Book of the Year for 2019. She is the co-host and co-creator of the popular weekly online Friends in Fiction live web show and podcast, which is wonderful. Patty is also a contributor to the monthly Life Lesson Essay column for Parade Magazine. A full-time author and mother of three, she now resides in both Mountain Brook, Alabama, and Bluffton, South Carolina with her husband. And a bit of special praise for Once Upon a Wardrobe comes from Douglas Douglas Gresham, C.S. Lewis's stepson, who said, I advise you to read this book, then wait for a while, and then read it again. For while it may not be Narnia, there is magic in it. I couldn't agree more. Um, Patty, welcome to A Bookish Home. It's such a treat to have you on. Oh, it's so strange to sit and listen while someone, you know, rattles that off. But every time anyone or I reread Douglas's words, it makes me makes me smile. So I'm thrilled to be with you today, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yes. And, you know, it's fun for those of us who read um, Becoming Mrs. Lewis. It was exciting to see that praise, too. Like, oh, um, Douglas Gresham talking about the book. And, you know, because I can picture him in my mind from the world of fiction. So that's a lot of fun. Well, you know, can you just tell us a bit about Once Upon a Wardrobe? And I'm so curious to hear kind of what the Narnia books have meant to you and um, sort of what keeps drawing you to C.S. Lewis in your writing. Wow. I could talk about those three things in rapid (laughs) succession for a long time. So I'm going to work a little bit backwards on that question um, because I'm going to start with how I started writing about Lewis because it definitely was not in my top 10 goals of my literary life to to delve into one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. And yet I became fascinated with his wife, Joy Davidman, who is an award-winning poet, um, a mother, a writer, and yes, very complicated woman. And while I was doing my research on her and deciding if and what I wanted to write about, I had initially been drawn to their love story, thinking it was in many ways a rather simple love story. Woman, you know, writes letter to man, they have a pen pal friendship and fall in love. But it was so much more complicated than that. And I spent years researching her life and his life. And while I was doing that, And while I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, I noticed all these seeds were small moments in Lewis's life that I could see in my favorite book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I wasn't looking at Narnia as this full-on series. I wasn't looking at it in this overarching scholastic way. I was resonating with it as a reader, as a lover of that story, and thinking to myself, 
I've never heard this. I've never read or heard that Lewis once saw a castle in his childhood on vacation that through the alchemy and magic of story, decades later becomes Care Paravel. And I kind of tucked it in the back of my mind and let it be. And every time someone asked, are you ever going to write about Lewis again? I would give an adamant no. And then <laughs> the, you know, the pandemic hit and we were in lockdown. And I started rethinking these amazing pieces of his life that showed up in this story. And a young boy named George Devonshire visited my imagination. So the book is about this young boy who lives in a stone cottage in the countryside of England with his mom and his dad and his sister Megs, who attends Oxford University. It is the year 1950, which is the winter that that book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, burst onto the scene. And this young boy is ill, and he is obsessed with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He reads it front to back and back to front. He tries to pop out the back of his wardrobe to see if Narnia might be on the other side. And when his sister comes home to visit on the weekends from university, he tells her about the book. And she says, that's such a nice children's book, because she is a math and physics major. And she believes the world is built on logic alone. And when her brother asks her to please track down the author of this novel, of this book he loves, because he knows that the author teaches at her university, she says, absolutely no. (laughs) (laughs) I am not bothering this very busy man, the most popular lecturer at Oxford, I'm not bothering him to ask him where Narnia came from. And yet she loves her brother and he convinces her and she does it. And that is what the book is about and how it kind of grew from these seeds of his life that I could see in the novel. Oh, I love that. Um, It's so interesting to me that you were writing this during the pandemic and now I feel like I'm being Megs, but it just gets me thinking about, oh, I could see how in the midst of everything, writing about the ways that tragedy or difficult times uh, can turn themselves into stories would be so interesting. It's almost like stories within stories. Um, So sort of what was that like trying to write this during COVID? I've talked to some different authors. It's funny. It seems like now we're getting to some different books being published that, that authors were really trying to write in the midst of a very difficult time. And I'm curious if that affected your process. And I guess like Meg's kept asking Mr. Lewis, you know, what sort of uh, seeds or, or different things were you pulling in from, from real life to help inform the story? Mm, uh, such a great subject to dive into because I am sure that at some point I would have written this book, but it would be a completely different book than it is because of of the pandemic. 
March of 2020 rolled around and I was set to go on paperback tour for Becoming Mrs. Lewis when everything shut down and my events fell like dominoes. We were all terrified. Was this going to kill us all, kill our parents? I mean, we were, and still are in many ways, so unsettled and terrified. And my college age son came home and my graduate school age son came home. My daughter who lives far away, I couldn't see her and her three-year-old and her husband. And then my husband came home (laughs) and we were all in one house and on one Wi-Fi and in one room, one son trying to do graduate school work, one son trying to do college work. I'm trying to write. My husband's trying to run a business he owns. And this story bubbled up and became for me a soft place to land while it felt like the world was madly burning. Every day I could sit down, whether it was for 15 minutes or four hours, depending what circumstances gave me, and live in this world where I could ask Mr. Lewis, what do stories mean? Where do they come from? And allow the wiser part of me or his own words from the things he's written to answer that. I could live in Oxford and wander the countryside of of England and through Meg's ask the questions that even I want to ask. And those were about how to make meaning out of something that feels meaningless in the midst of it, how to make sense of something that feels senseless in the middle of it, and how to use story or dwell in story is probably a better way to say it, to help make meaning of the meaningless and sense of the senseless. And it's obvious, as you said, you feel like Meg's asking the question that Meg represents logic. And George, in many ways, represents imagination. And I wanted to have these two ways of living rubbing up against each other to see if there was a way to combine them and meld them and let Megs go through enough of a transformational journey that we were, that we understood her without judging her because both George and Megs live in us. We are constantly, you know, toggling back and forth between logic and intuition and imagination between the seen and the unseen and which one do we rely on or do we rely on both so all of those bigger questions bubbled up well i felt like the world was madly burning around us yeah i mean it's so interesting when i hear about the book that an author's writing sort of being um, an escape. And as you said, that soft place to land, because, you know, then that book becomes that for so many readers. Um, I know your books have been that for me and so many others. So it's, um, it's interesting that in a way they're, they're that for you first, and then there's kind of a ripple effect. Um, oh, thank you. I love that. Yeah. I like that ripple effect. It's, uh, and when, and and you're you're one of a few people who have said it's it's almost like a story inside a story because that's how it felt right my story is in the story i'm writing but his story is in the story i'm telling and 
it was layer after layer of the impact and meaning of the source of story. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I thought, um, and we spoke about this a little bit before we came on, was such a, um, you know, a silver lining of the pandemic was um, the start of your Friends in Fiction show. Um, I had known some of the authors before, but not all. And I feel like you've all been friends in my ears throughout this these couple of years. And I just wondered kind of how engaging with um, your fellow authors in that way during the past couple of years and developing such an active community of readers as well, how that kind of changed anything about your process or just what that's been like over the past couple of years? Wow. It has, it has been one of the most enriching things I've ever done. And I think that part of, part of the reason it's so enriching and and maybe part of the reason it's been so successful is we did it for fun. We had no plans for anyone listening who doesn't know what Friends in Fiction is, is it's a weekly live web show with four New York Times bestselling authors. We did it. We started it during the pandemic to support other authors and independent bookstores and libraries and librarians. And it has just grown into this incredibly active community of about 62,000 members and every Friday additional podcast, as well as the live show being a podcast. Um, now we are doing live events. It's just been incredible. And to answer the way, to first of all, to go back um, to how it started, when the pandemic hit once again, um, Mary Kay Andrews texted a group of us and said, let's get on a Zoom, which, you know, two weeks before this, we didn't even know what a Zoom was. And try and wine without wine and because, or wine with wine, because all of us had had our book tours canceled. And we were trying to figure out how to salvage our book releases and how to help independents and libraries. And we just started talking and laughing and we got back on together the next week. And Mary Kay said, I think we should put this on my Facebook live and see, I think our readers would love to hear us talking about all this. And I have to admit, I was a naysayer and said, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to hear us <laughs> talk about this kind of thing. And um, thank God nobody pays attention to me. And we put it on her Facebook live and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up. And to show you how little we thought people would show up, Kathy was wearing this, Mary Kay is her writing name, was wearing this beautiful purple silk shirt. It was her pajamas. So we it took off from there. And so we decided to start our own website so we didn't have to do it off hers. And now we have any, you know, up to 900 live viewers every Wednesday night. We have interviewed... If you name one of your favorite authors, we've probably interviewed them. We've had 109 (laughs) shows, and that doesn't include the podcasts. Um, We had Amor Tolls on last week. It's just been incredible. And as far as how it's impacted my work, it probably can't be quantified. And we've talked about it before as a group when we've done live events. And for each of us, the, the list is so long that every time we talk about it, we go, oh, and that, and that, and that. 
But for me, if I'm going to try to sum it up, it's twofold. One, Mary Kay started us when we were all trying to figure out if we could write during such a, you know, unsettling time is she started us all as a group, the the four of us. Um, It's Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and me, Patty Callahan. And she started writing sprints. So at six o'clock every morning or 6.30, which is 5.30 my time, she'd say, who's writing? We can't break the street. And we would all have to report back what we had done or written and how many words. Then we would brainstorm together. So completely altered and, and, and enriched our work because we were writing as a community. We were writing as a like the combined energy of that when we could have just been spinning out of control um, helped center us. And then the second thing for me is the incredible, incredible reading community. And Laura, I know you know this, and it's, it's one of those, if you build it, they will come because readers want to talk about the books they read what they think of them, good and bad, and they want to discuss it. And it was like everybody just whoosh, just jumped onto this page. Half the time, they don't pay any attention to us. They're so busy talking to each other about the books they've read. And the third for me is in in interviewing other authors to hear their inspiring stories to know about their process. I learn something every single week. And we look at someone like Amor Tolls and we think, oh, he's so lucky. You know, he's only written three novels and he's on top of the world and Rules of Civility and A Gentleman in Moscow and The Lincoln Highway. And lucky him, he had it easy. Then you hear his story and he's been writing since he was a child. He went to college for it. He's he is so unbelievably well read. He went to Yale and Stanford. He spent seven years writing a novel that has never seen the light of day. And that's just one example of every single interview we do. I am lifted up by another author's story or uh, we ask every week for a writing tip, a writing tip they give that really It just sets me back and I incorporate it for myself. So it's been, I could go on and on, but I hope that for you and anyone who listens to the podcast or the show has, has come to see that this community is all about the power of, of books and stories and libraries and booksellers and author allies, I like to call them. So yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's it's been wonderful. And I feel like I've discovered so many different books between the show and um, just following along with everything you are all releasing. And, um, you know, that leads me to one of my other questions, because I'm just amazed at the um, pace you all keep up. And, you know, I was browsing your website a little bit more before, before we started talking. And just the the number of books that you have under your belt and the range is just incredible. And so I'm wondering when you talk about, so for instance, like becoming Mrs. Lewis, where you're saying you were researching it for um, several years. And then of course the time it takes to write. um, 
kind of how do you balance your different projects? And, you know, are you doing a little bit of research on one and, and writing another? It just um, kind of how do you how do you manage all of that? And then along with that, I'm curious, um, I always love hearing a little bit about the research process itself. Um, so I know these are kind of dipping into similar worlds with Once Upon a Wardrobe and Becoming Mrs. Lewis. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what what kind of research you've done. I am on a long list of authors to ask about balance, not the best. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, my balance consists of, of doing everything full on and then doing so, you know, kind of having to stop readjust, you know, going back. But I think anyone who works on a, a creative project that they're passionate about balance is hard because the project is your passion and everything else, except of course, the important things in life, like family and kids seems to kind of pale and you have to reorient all the time, but I don't work on more than one project at once. Um, So if I'm researching, I'm also writing about the project that I'm researching. Um, For the show, of course, I work on that, even though I'm researching and writing, but as far as my novels, I am a one thing at a time writer and maybe because the, the, the research is so intense. And if there's another idea kind of, you know, in the back of my brain, I'll, I'll let it just simmer back there. And once in a while I might write something down in a notebook, but on the whole, I'm writing what I'm researching and I'm not, I'm not, researching one thing, writing another. The only thing that that overlaps is, for example, right now I'm talking about my beloved book, Once Upon a Wardrobe, and diving back into that while I'm writing something else, but I'm not writing two, or researching two things at the same time. I see. And, you know, I'm sure for Once Upon a Wardrobe, because of the nature of the time you were writing, you couldn't say, go fly to Oxford or any of those places, but did you do some of that for becoming Mrs. Lewis or is there anything that really stands out as um, being a really fun or interesting part of the research process? Oh, yes. When I, research is one of my favorite things, which is when I was a nurse, I was a research nurse. I've always loved finding that one piece of information that flips it story you think you know onto its head. And I love taking something that's commonly known, whether it's a myth or the way we think about a city, for example, in my novel, Surviving Savannah, or the way we think about um, C.S. Lewis's love story in Becoming Mrs. Lewis, or how we think about C.S. Lewis as a man and a writer in Once Upon a Wardrobe. I'd like to find something in the research that's that doesn't seem important but when you pull it out it it takes the story in a new direction and lets us see things with new eyes so the research is is fun for me in fact i need to often stop and not fall down that rabbit hole where i'm spending a month researching something that's one sentence in a novel <laughs> or or i'll never finish so I, but, but travel for me is part of that setting for me is 
as important and sometimes more important than some of the characters. And I just wrote an article about it for um, careerauthors.com. But setting for me, if possible, I need to put my feet and my heart in that place. It's not always possible. But for me, I planned a trip around becoming Mrs. Lewis called the main character in that book is named Joy Davidman. And I planned a trip for myself called In the Steps of Joy. And I visited, I finished the rough draft. And then I visited every single place in the book. So if you read about it, I visited, except for Edinburgh, Scotland, and her farmhouse in New York. But I didn't need really to imagine that. It's pretty obvious. But I, I had not visited London or Oxford through the eyes of the 1950s as as a as Joy Davidman. So if you read about it from the common room in C.S. Lewis's house to the long walk to Maudlin College to Shotover Hill to all of it, I visited. And the first time I visited, I did it through her eyes. I tried to imagine what it would feel like and look like to her when she arrived in England in 1953, getting off a ship and arriving in London. Um, And then the second time arriving with her two young sons, having very little money and not knowing where they would live. And I visited these places with that in mind and subsequent visits, I just looked at it through my eyes. But yes, that. When I was writing Once Upon a Wardrobe, I just tapped back into how all of that felt for me, how the magic of it and this feeling when you were walking around Oxford that there's so much you can't see and that the deep-rooted history was mystical and that the stone buildings and the land just held all these secrets and stories and it's amazing. So I was hoping to bring that to the page for you, the reader. Oh, I love that. I love the idea of walking in the steps of Joy Davidman. And um, I love books set at Oxford. I um, I lived there for a year, actually. And um, I you just so captured just the magic of the place and just there's nothing more wonderful than kind of walking the streets there and feeling, you know, the history of everyone who's studied there and oh, it's wonderful. Um, so now you. I want to, now I want to go back having read your books and kind of, <laughs> I need a once hey, upon a wardrobe tour. Yes. Yeah, um, well, I always love to hear um, what authors have been reading for themselves. Have you read any good books lately that you'd want to recommend to listeners? Oh, wow. Absolutely. Um, it's about to come out in paperback, but I loved Paula McLean's new book called um, When the Stars Go Dark. I've loved I don't think I have to tell anybody about this book, but I'm kind of obsessed with the Midnight Library. I loved Amor Toll's new book, The Lincoln Highway. I think it's a a wonderful ride of a story with a master storyteller. I love Kristen Harmel's um, latest historical, which is called The Forest of Vanishing Stars. Wow, I could go on and on. 
And and I'm so lucky because not only am I reading what I want to read, but you know, the, the guests of our show are, their books are taking me out of my normal um, reading patterns. And it's, it's been astounding to think I have to read this for the interview and read it and be like, Whoa, I would have missed this book. So um, yeah. I feel that way a lot. <laughs> it's great. It's um, great, isn't it? Yeah. It's so much fun. Um, well, I'll definitely link to all of those. And um, I have to agree, I had Kristen on for The Forest of Vanishing Stars. What a wonderful book. I love, I love that one. Well, you know, I'm sure that listeners will be eager to um, pick up Once Upon a Wardrobe. And then um, for those of us who have already devoured it and are looking for <laughs> What's next? I know this just came out, but um, do you ha- have anything you can share about what you're working on next or even just what type of book um, is coming up next? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I have to have zipped lips for right now, but it is historical <laughs> and it is set in the forties and sixties in London, but that's all I'm allowed to say. Oh, I'll definitely look forward to that. Um, Thank you. There's, there's nothing better than visiting London of the past. I always just enjoy that so much. Um, obviously, I do too. <laughs> well, Patty, thank you so much for coming on. I have really been looking forward to this. I love your books and everything you're doing. And just thank you for putting these wonderful escape books for us to kind of curl up with. And I hope you guys keep doing the show because I enjoy that so much as well. And I'm going to link to everything so people can check it out if they're not familiar. Thank you so much, Laura. I love talking to you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, A Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.